Now our reading from Galatians five thirteen through 15. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of the Lord. So we're going to continue tonight in our series in uh, Galatians. And um, as I continue to try to remind us each week, this is one of the earliest letters that Paul ever wrote. And he wrote it to a group of churches who were struggling to make sense of the gospel. Uh, Particularly if if you go and you look in the book of Acts, chapter 15, the struggle that we read about in this letter is really one that characterizes... Uh, the early church. And it's this idea that the good news of the gospel is for all people, Jews and Gentiles. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. However, every, if you think about it for a moment, part of the reason why this letter was so challenging and the gospel that Paul preached so challenging was that the first Christians were Jews. And the, the idea that you didn't have to become Jewish to become a Christian would have been an astounding claim. Because throughout all of God's story, throughout all of the Old Testament, again and again, God's people were told, uh, if the sojourners or the foreigners, if they come among you, they're welcome to do that, but they must become circumcised. They must become like you. And now all of a sudden, since Jesus has come, That's not the case anymore. All of that has now found its fulfillment in Jesus. All that now is needed is faith and faith alone. And as we continue to work our way through this letter, we notice that last week, one of the greatest threats to the Christian gospel is the freedom that it brings. The freedom that it brings to those who are in Jesus. And this section in Galatians 5, 1 through 15 is all about Christian freedom. And last week, we began looking at this section. We looked at verses 1 through 12, and just to summarize what we talked about last week was that Paul, in those first 12 verses, he's, he's telling, he's warning the Galatians not to lose their freedom by turning to another gospel. Don't lose it, he says. Because in verse 1 of chapter 5, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And here in these two verses, verse 13 through 15, Paul continues on this theme of of Christian freedom, but here he doesn't talk so much about not losing their freedom, but here he talks about not abusing their freedom. Not abusing their freedom. And uh, perhaps if I could put it more positively, What we're being told here is Paul is telling us that the gospel sets us free to love one another. Here we have a distinctively Christian understanding and vision of freedom. In other words, what Paul is telling us is that Christian freedom is indispensable to true Christian community. In a nutshell, that's what we're being told in these couple verses And therefore, what I want to do is look with you at three 
three, under three headings, what I think this passage has to teach us about these two very important interconnected themes of freedom and community, gospel freedom and gospel community. So first I want us to look at why is gospel freedom so crucial? Why is it indispensable to true Christian community, to the life of the church? And then look at what is the essence of this community, of true Christian community? And then we'll finish with where do we find the resources to use our freedom for the good of others? So first, let's look at why is gospel freedom so crucial? Why is it indispensable to true Christian community? Let me first say, by by contrasting a little bit here, or trying to to lay out for you the the modern Western view of freedom. The main reason that gospel freedom is so important is because the modern Western view, the, the view of freedom that we live and breathe every day, it actually undermines community rather than creating community. Let me, let me try to explain what I mean. In the modern Western view, the modern idea of freedom is a freedom from all constraints. It's a freedom that says you belong to yourself, that you are the master of your fate, that no one else can tell you how to live, what to believe, or how to behave. That is essentially a summary of a modern Western idea of individualism, of freedom. In fact, a couple uh, books I've I've been reading lately that speak to this, one author, his his name is Alan Mann. He wrote a book called uh, Atonement for a Sinless Society. He sums up our modern situation in this one phrase that he calls Project Self. Another writer uh, John Tyson, he's a, a pastor in Manhattan. He wrote a little book called Sacred Roots. It's a little book about the church. And he has his own phrase to sum up this idea of, of, of freedom, mo- the modern idea of freedom as the sovereignty of the self. And he goes on to describe this, and he defines it this way. He says, the sovereignty of self is self over others, self over community, Self over inconvenience and self over commitment. Our life and longings are formed around a vision of personal fulfillment at all costs. Everyone and everything exists for us. Now, where does that find footing in this passage? That finds footing in this passage simply by referring to there in verse 13 when Paul talks about the opportunity for the flesh. What I just tried to describe for you is a fairly accurate uh, way to understand what Paul means by the flesh. Here, what he means by the flesh is our human nature, its fallenness or its brokenness, its bid to live independently of God and therefore independently of anyone else. And herein, I think, lies one of the greatest ironies of our day and time, of our current cultural moment. Because uh, if you're at all paying attention, one of the greatest buzzwords of our current time is the idea of community, uh, of living locally, 
of investing where you live, buying local, uh, caring about your local community. And yet, I find it very ironic that at the very same time, one of the deepest, most valued cultural commitments is this idea of radical individualism or project self. And they are mutually exclusive. And this is why I'm, I'm trying to make this point that if we allow that way of understanding freedom to make its way into our lives, it will ruin true community. They're incompatible. And why, why is that? Well, if you think about it for a moment, if your life is built on your personal fulfillment, your personal happiness, then everyone and every place really is in the service of your personal agenda. And when and if that person or that place interferes with, contradicts, prohibits that agenda, they are now obstacles for you to overcome. They are not people or places to serve. In fact, I would argue this is probably one of the greatest reasons why we see marriages fall apart. And this is true in the church just as much as we see outside the church. That marriage in our current cultural moment really is about personal satisfaction and fulfillment. What can this other person bring into my life that will make my life more exciting, more rich, more full, more entertaining, more satisfying? But what happens, though, when that person you thought could do all those things actually foils your plans? and they become exasperating. What incentive is there to stay? If marriage really is, or relationships, or friendships, or where we live, or the communities we involve in, if they really are about our personal fulfillment, there is no incentive. The next logical step is simply to move on. And see, here is precisely what Paul has in mind in verse 15 when he says, you see, if you use your freedom... for yourself rather than in the service of other people, which I realize is a radical claim to make. That's totally different than how we think. Look in verse 15. You begin to bite and devour one another to the point of consuming each other. This is an image here of beasts in the wilderness with their teeth bare, ripping one another apart to the point of death. It's a really gross, violent image, but that's what Paul says happens when we use our freedom, when we use gospel freedom for any other end than what God intends it for, the design that he intends it for. And yet, I think it is worth asking, to what extent has perhaps this this idea of freedom as project self or the sovereignty of the self made its way into our own perspective or even our own perspective towards the church, maybe even our own perspective towards one another here at Red Mountain. John Tyson, again, in his little book, he says, when we consciously or subconsciously believe this, that is, this modern Western idea of freedom, 
Jesus' words and Jesus' invitation can become tools we use to meet our own needs. In other words, what he's saying is, now I realize this is, this is not the easiest sermon for a pastor to preach. <laughs> but Paul is telling us not to use our freedom for our own good, for our own benefit. And he's pressing us to think, how have we actually, or do we actually, turn Jesus and his church into a means of our own fulfillment, to our own agenda? Now, let me, let me give you an example, a couple examples here. What, what might that mean? Well, um, in a recent survey that surveyed uh, a number of practicing Christians, asked the question, why do you attend church? And the top two answers given to that question were this. The first one, 43% of the answers said to be closer to God. I want to be closer to God. The second uh, most common answer, 32% of the responses said, uh, I, I, I attend church because I want to learn more about God. Now, let me be really clear. In and of themselves, those are fine answers. There's nothing wrong with that. But I don't want you to miss, though, those are fundamentally self-focused answers. It's a very different, those are very different answers than perhaps thinking something or, or asking these kinds of questions as you and I enter into a life of community at a church like Red Mountain. Questions like this. How can I honor these people as more significant than myself? Or another way, another question. I wonder, where can I use my gifts to serve others or to build others up? Those are fundamentally different postures towards the church than those two responses I read. Again, those first two aren't bad. They're not wrong, but they're totally different. And in fact, there's a fascinating variation on this. Martin Luther King Jr., as he's commenting on the parable of the Good Samaritan, perhaps the most famous story about neighboring, about loving your neighbor, he writes this. It's on the front of your your bulletin if you want to look. He says, the first question which the priest and the Levi asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the Good Samaritan reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man... What will happen to him? And I I realize this is hard for me to take in. I imagine it's hard for you to take in. This is a totally different idea of freedom. You cannot be truly free unless you and I begin to ask questions like that. Not what will happen to me, but what will happen to him or to her? if I don't love them. Now, if what we're saying is true here about this idea of why gospel freedom is so crucial for true Christian community, let's talk for a minute about what it actually is. What is this community that Paul has in mind? And if I could put it to you as succinctly as I know how, in verses 13 to 15, what Paul is telling us here 
is that we are now free to love. When he says, for you were called to freedom. That God's sovereign intervention, that by his free grace, he breaks into the lives of people who would otherwise never dare even be interested to give him the time of day. And he remakes them. He gives them a new heart. He puts his spirit in their heart and enables them to see that they could see and they could hear and that they are now free in Jesus. What is this new community, the essence of it? If I had to give it to you in one word, it is in this phrase that we see three times in this passage of one another. The essence of true Christian community that flows out of true gospel freedom is one anothering. And this phrase actually occurs 50 times in the New Testament. And I want, I want you to just listen here for just a moment. Consider some of these verses. What is this one another really all about? At the very heart of it is love. As Paul says here, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Jesus, where does he get this? Where does Paul get this from? Jesus in John 15 says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Paul then in Colossians chapter 3, when he's, he's telling uh, the church in Colossae, now because you've been raised with Christ, what does it look like now to follow after him? The, the most important thing he says is above all of these things I'm telling you, put on love. So what does Paul mean by love? What might be a biblical idea of love? Well, if we were to flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is uh, perhaps you're familiar with it. You may have heard it at weddings. I, quite frankly, never understand why it's in a wedding. I know that might sound weird. It is one of the most terrifying passages in the whole Bible. <laughs> it's not the passage I want read at my wedding. I'm just not that brave. Because listen, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It just goes to show how incredibly naive newlyweds really are. But this is the love that Paul has in mind here. Through love, serve one another. It's indispensable. And without it, we are undone. Listen, just before those verses, Paul writes this. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am, no- I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Think about that. Listen to what, this is what he's saying. He says, without love, it won't matter what you say. You will just be noise. Without love, it doesn't matter what abilities you have. Without love, it doesn't matter how much you know. 
Without love, it doesn't matter how much faith you have. It doesn't matter how generous you are. It doesn't even matter if you sacrifice your very life for someone. Do you hear that? All of those things are great things. But Paul is saying you can do all of those things without love. And he says, and you are nothing. Paul says, if you have not love, you gain nothing. If you have not love, he goes so far as to say that we are nothing. Therefore, what I want you to see when Paul is talking about the essence of true Christian community that flows out of this good news about Jesus and his love for us, that gospel freedom and love for one another, they cannot be separated. Put differently, if our relationships and community aren't characterized by this kind of love, I think what Paul is saying to us is we need to ask ourselves if we know the freedom to which we have been called in Jesus. And so important is this, so important is this that the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 4, he even goes so far as to say, anyone who does not love does not know God. Wow. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Now, how do we come to know this love? How do we come to know this love without which there is no freedom and there is no true gospel community? Where do we find the resources to replace what we've been calling this project self or the sovereignty of the self with true freedom, gospel freedom that's expressed in love for others? First, let me just try to get you to think of the gospel like this. That when you look at Jesus and you look at the gospels and his life and who he is, A wonderful way to begin to to think about what the gospel calls you to is to adjust your life for other people. That the way that you know that the gospel is taking root in your life is you become malleable for other people. You become increasingly willing to adjust your very life. This is what you see Paul doing. Paul, he was the persecutor of the church. Jesus breaks into his life, and now Paul is willing to be stoned, to be forgotten, to be stripped naked, to be shipwrecked, so that people would come to know Jesus. Now, what is this, uh, this something about the gospel that leads to Paul's desire to readjust his life, to fit the shape of other people's lives? That something about the gospel is what I want us to see as the one anothering of Jesus. See, here Paul is saying that we are to love one another. Well, how do you do that? How do you one another each other? You only can do that because you've been one-anothered by Jesus. Listen, 
how Paul describes, this is in his letter to the Romans, he says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. How did Jesus do this? How did Jesus adjust himself? How did Jesus make himself malleable to our deepest need? We've already seen Paul talk about this in Galatians chapter 4 when he says that Jesus, he was born of a woman. He became a human being. He was born under the law into the same state and same condition as we find ourselves so that he might redeem us, rescue us from under the law. And in Philippians, Paul, he says similar things when he says, though Jesus was in the form of God, he emptied himself. He became a human being and he humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death on the cross. You see, Jesus adjusted himself. God adjusted himself. Tim Keller, in one of his books, puts it, I think, very helpfully. He says, in the most radical way, God has adjusted to us in his incarnation and atonement. In Jesus Christ, he became a limited human being, vulnerable to suffering and death. On the cross, he submitted to our condition as sinners and died in our place to forgive us In the most profound way, God has said to us in Christ, I will adjust to you. I will change for you. I will serve you, though it means a sacrifice for me. So how do you do that? I mean, let's let's just be totally honest. I don't want to do that. It's inconvenient. It's hard. It's painful. It's exasperating. It interferes with what I want to do any given day. How how do you do this? How do we begin to adjust? How can we love like this? And the simple answer that Paul gives us again and again in this letter is that it's through your union with Jesus. This can only happen through your union with Jesus. What what does that mean? We'll get to look at this more in in the coming weeks. I just want to mention it tonight. In chapter 5, verse 24, a little bit down from where we are, listen to what Paul says. He says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. How do you not let the flesh take opportunity of your freedom? It's by belonging to Jesus. Realizing that in him... Those desires that wage war against God's spirit, they have been crucified in Jesus. What does that mean? In short, what that means is they no longer run your life. You're now dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus. That's what Paul tells you. No matter how you feel or what you think, that is what it means to trust in Jesus, to know yourself united to him. But it's even more than that. You don't do this alone. Perhaps you may remember earlier in Galatians when Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So when Paul is saying here, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. He is not saying you must draw on your own resources. 
You must get your act together. Now, what he's telling you here is, don't you remember? You've been crucified with Christ. You no longer live. Christ now lives in you by his spirit. And he is now made available to you by faith, his resurrection life. All that belongs to him is now yours. It is available to you to draw on, to ask for help with. You are not alone. Your union with Christ. That's how you begin day after day, a little at a time, to through love serve one another. See, what I want you to see here, the good news of gospel freedom is Jesus adapting to you and by his help enabling you to adapt to one another. And that's when we become truly free and that's when we enjoy true gospel community. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would be with us, that you take these words, even as we return to your word each week, we pray that you would take them and in the hands of your spirit, mold them and shape them to our hearts, that we might know you, that we might enjoy the calling that you have placed upon us, our, the call to freedom. And we pray for the grace to stand firm in Jesus, to, to through love serve one another. Would you please do that? For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.